This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. So we're out of lockdown in Melbourne, but capacity limits are still in place in indoor spaces. Therefore, tonight, while our intrepid panellist Carl Chapman is joining our two guest hosts from the comfort of Triple R Studios in downtown Brunswick, I, your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, am broadcasting from a small box, or rather the comfort of my own home, like the reclusive enigma I am. Uh, in the studio, we've got two returning carryover champs ready to play for thousands of dollars in cash and prizes. First, we have teacher and the breakfast's resident book reviewer, Fee Wright. Good evening, good evening. You, you're looking very, I was saying to this off air, you're looking very um, film film chic in your black turtleneck and, and red wine there in the background and all the DVDs or Blu-rays behind <laughs> no. you. Ah, oh, uh, this is this is real film nerdery. If you have a close look, it's neither. It's VHS. Oh, look at you! There it is. That's <laughs> the, the, the that's cliche. next level. That's next level, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Boss level cliche. <laughs> and joining us also is writer and critic for such outlets as the Guardian, the Saturday Paper, Broadsheet, the Lifted Brow, and so many more. Will Cox. G'day. How you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm happy here being a cliche uh, in 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 a, in a box. Well, you're not the now, one wearing a tweed jacket, mate. I'm wearing a tweed jacket. Yeah, I I met uh, listeners. I, I met Will this evening and went on a bit of a tear about uh, tweed jackets and such. And then Will just casually turns around and points out his jacket. And now I've got to sit next to him for the next hour. Hopefully, not, not, not holding not any grudges. It's not. It's not pleasant. And you're dressed for radio. I see. It's very nice. <laughs> I love how this has started. Um, <laughs> you've got to get some attention. Look, if we're all stuck in a room together, you've got to establish some tension mm. between the characters. Mm. All right. Oh, nice. Nice, what nice segue a there. Beautiful how segue. Does he do it? For reasons I'm sure no one in Melbourne will relate to in any way, we will square up for a triple feature of single location films about people locked in a box. We'll kick off our program with a look at the recent Netflix original release that inspired this episode. French director Alexandre Arge's cla- uh, claustrophobic sci-fi thriller Oxygen, which stars Men- uh, Melanie Laurent as a woman waking up in a cryogenic sleep chamber controlled by a not always helpful medical computer voice, uh, computer system voiced by Matthew Amalric. Then we'll head back to 1997 as a handful of Canadians find themselves trapped in multicolored rooms with gnarly traps in Vincenzo Natale's existentialist indie thriller Cube. And finally, we'll jump back to 2010, sharing an uncomfortably small space with Ryan Reynolds. Yes, before he was in Six Underground for Michael Bay, he was six feet underground in a coffin for director uh, director Rodrigo Cortez in the asphyxiating thriller Buried. See what I did there? <laughs> also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. 
Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, please join us for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. Another week, another passing of one of the all-time great character actors, Ned Beatty, perhaps most famous as Otis, Lex Luthor's hapless boater hat-wearing henchman in 1978's Superman the Movie, or as the poor weekend warrior stripped and ordered to squeal like a pig in 1972's Deliverance, or as the voice of Toy Story 3's tragic villain Lotso, died this week at uh, no, this morning at the age of 83. Beatty had amassed over 160 screen credits, including 79 movies, but for me, none were more striking than his only Oscar-nominated role, one of the all-time one-scene wonders in Sidney Lumet's 1976 classic Network, where he's a shadowy businessman who tells unhinged anchorman Howard Beale exactly how the world works, commanding him like the voice of God. Ned Beatty was one of those actors who never knew how to play a false note, no matter what the film, from his screen debut, which was incredibly that role in Deliverance, uh, to recent years where he acted regularly through the late 2000s and early 2010s in films like Charlie Wilson's War, Rampart, Seas Law and Order, and Boy Story 3, with his final roles coming in a pair of 2013 indies, The Big Ask and Baggage Claim. He passed away of natural causes and is survived by his fourth wife, of 21 years and his eight children dude was busy <laughs> not just the film credits but in in other ways as well <laughs> it's also 160 movies eight kids four wives wild wildlife um as americans get increasingly vaccinated against covid and cinemas gradually reopen much likely we had here with the dry breaking out at the start of this year John Krasinski's A Quiet Place Part 2 has broken a major milestone, becoming the first film of the post-pandemic era to break the US $100 million mark in box office in North America, that figure being a long-time benchmark of a box office hit in the States, but obviously one that nothing has gotten near since the pandemic shut the world down last March. What's more, A Quiet Place Part 2 has hit that mark in just its third weekend, in what is a hugely encouraging sign for the US movie business and proof that cinemas might not be dead just yet. And with the Cannes Film Festival lineup announced last week, director, Australian director Justin Kurzel's controversial new film, Nitram, has become the first Australian film to screen in official competition at Cannes in a decade. Nitram sees Kurzel reuniting with his Snowtown and True History of the Kelly Gang screenwriter Sean Grant to tackle another Australian uh, criminal, uh, the uh, 1996 Port Arthur Massacre and a thinly veiled version of mass murderer Martin Bryant, who will be played by American actor Caleb Landry-Jones, a project that has already come under fire from survivors and their families um, with accusations of exploiting the tragedy and putting the Bryant character at its centre. Also starring Judy Davis, Anthony LaPaglia and Essie Davis, the film, which tracks the events leading up to the tragedy in reverse, Nitram is Martin spelt backwards, will premiere in Australia at this year's Melbourne International Film Festival before a streaming release on Stan. The 74th edition of the Cannes Film Festival runs from July 6th to July 17th. Now, please lie down, relax, take a sedative. Really? Do you want a sedative? Are you sure? Do you want a sedative? <laughs> and join us for our first film. I'm going une maladie ou anormalité détectée. Je suis pas malade. Milo, déverrouillage. Je ne suis pas en mesure d'accéder à cette requête pour le moment. Milo, s'il te plaît, je t'en supplie. 
je ne suis pas en mesure d'accéder à ça. Oxygen is the ninth feature film from director Alexandra Aja. An initially unnamed woman, played by Melanie Laurent, wakes in a cryogenic chamber with no recollection of who she is or how she got there, with the chamber's AI system, named Milo, medical in interface liaison officer, and voiced by Matthew Malric, her only her only option for help as she quickly finds out her oxygen levels are at 33% and plummeting. And is Milo as helpful and forthcoming as it could be? As she's running out of oxygen, she must rebuild her memory to find a way out of her nightmare. Fee, did you remember to breathe throughout oxygen? Oh, I felt like I um I remember to breathe at certain points in certain acts, but I I felt the movie had me hooked for the first 30 minutes, lost in the middle and then pulled me back again. So I'm not sure about um how other people felt, but the intro, I loved that it wore its influences on its sleeve. It was um you know, Milo, you can't have a any form of AI without immediately drawing parallels to hell like that mm. is. And they had such a um, self-awareness of that um, and I really enjoyed that. And it also had lots of um, alien or the Matrix overtones, particularly the first Matrix. But I, um, I, really, I really enjoyed it. I got lost a little in the middle just through uh, um, need a little bit more oomph. But uh, the, the start, I was totally there. What about you, Will? Uh, the how comparisons, I mean, it's not – I've seen that in everything that I've read about the film, mm. but it's not really much like hell mm. ultimately. But, mm. but yeah, I mean, it's amazing to be able to sustain over 90 minutes uh, one person lying down in a small box. But, oh, yeah. it's, uh, like, excellent, um, excellent visual effects, mm. excellent mm. central performance. Melanie Laurent is just fantastic, um, really engages all the way through. Did, did you both watch it in French? Yes. Right. Because yes. Netflix automatically, for me, uh, defaulted to the, to the English dub. And then I thought, hang on, this doesn't look right. And I, then I looked it up and there were several people saying that the English dub is, is, is not, not good at all. That was exactly experience as well, that I looked it up before I started watching it mm. and uh, I double-checked that I did want to be experiencing this with the language. And... You know, you're losing half the performance, even if, mm. I mean, I don't speak French, but I wanted to hear how she was experiencing that process in that box. And I feel that, you know, I mean, dubbed never really carries the same gravitas. And, and apparently the script is, is, is compromised as well mm. to fit the, uh, you know, to fit the words into the mouth, mm. as it were, you know, they've had to, they've had to make quite a few changes. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, that's something for people to be aware of. Mm. Yeah, I must have taught my TV well because it went straight to French. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, I think my TV and I had this conversation when I watched the German show Dark a couple of years ago and it started in English. It's like, mm, no. something about this isn't right. No. Given the recommendations, I don't think Netflix thinks very highly of me. <laughs> it's quite insulting a lot of the time. It's like, no, you really love this show about compulsive eaters. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think I think this film uses that knowledge of hell. I like it's interesting. Like, yeah, I think you're right. Well, it's not really hell, but it but I think the film uses our cultural knowledge of that to immediately suspect Milo of some potential skullduggery because cuz for a while we're not sure what Milo's been programmed to do. 
Um, and, you know, without sort of going into specifics. Um, but I think there's definitely a thing, you know, in the viewer it instantly evokes, well, Hal was a, you know, murderous son of a mm. bitch. What's to say this one isn't? I got the um, sense right from the beginning we're not dealing with Hal, we're dealing with Siri. Yes. <laughs> there's, you know, it can only do what it knows. And mm. if it doesn't know how to help, then then it's it's going to be next to useless. There mm. are a number of moments. You, you're saying that it was um, Omicron 267 was the, the character's name before we knew it. And um, uh, the way that Milo deals with questions and the way the questions are asked and how often, you know, um, Omicron 267 will ask questions in lots of different ways in order to try and get the right um, response or gets different responses based off of um, her interactions. And now you're saying that the the dubbed is edited the script. Um, I feel like that would lose a lot of the impact because mm. so much of the dialogue is, is based around um, – the minutia of her trying to get more information out of Milo. Yeah, mm. that's really interesting to think mm. of it like that. Yeah, I mean, it is just her and what, about three or maybe four different voices. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But it does break out of the um, of her coffin-like, you know, um, incubation kind mm. of medical. Do we describe exactly what happens to her? Well, did well, it's a cryogenic trench. She's in a cryogenic trench. Really early on that it's a cryogenic mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. of some kind. Yeah. It, it does break out of that with flashback mm. and with kind of, you know, uh, scenes that may or may not be real, um, uh, establishing her state of mind and, and, and establishing her life or whatever what her life might be outside of the outside of this scenario. Mm. But there's that's where I think there was one thing that really uh, – this is – this is a bugbear of mine in a lot of films <laughs> that CGI can do a lot and prosthetics and performance can do a lot, but but age makeup, aging someone up. There is a scene where a character is aged uh, to, from, you know, they're a young actor and they become an old person and it just never, never works. It looks appalling. It's it uncanny valley. It me out. Yeah, I it agree just, with that completely. Yeah. I don't know why they can't do it, but. Just stop trying. <laughs> like, <laughs> most expensive films in the world have never done it convincingly. It's laughable. It, it's weird, isn't it? Like occasionally it works. There's certain things, old age makeup, convincing um, archive family photos, uh, convincing <laughs> old newspapers. Like films with $100 million budgets can't get some of this stuff right. It's bizarre. Um, yeah, this is another one that that fumbles this ball a bit here. I've always found Alexandre Raja a very solid filmmaker. I've seen two-thirds of his films and I always find them, like he's the guy behind Crawl. He's mm. He trafficked in remakes for a while. Like he did the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. He did the remake of Piranha. He did the remake of... Um, uh, uh, Oh, there's another one there somewhere. Uh, but he also did films like Mirrors and High Tension and 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 things like that. And I always find his film entertaining and great skill and invention. Like he clearly knows what he's doing, but I've never loved any of them. And same goes here. I I I found this like I was a lot like you. I think um, V. I. I thought Laurent was terrific. I think the script is a jigsaw puzzle where you'll manage to ascertain most of the pieces but not all. Mm. Um, it's very clever in a lot of ways. It takes some interesting turns, especially with a filmmaker as associated with horror as Arja is because it gradually becomes something very much not a horror film. Mm. And 
I'm not sure if the quest really connected for me. And for a hundred, a one a film that's only a hundred minutes, I did find myself drifting off a bit, like you were saying, Fee, mm-hmm. in its sort of middle section, second half. Mm-hmm. I, I started the like you, the first half hour, forty minutes is riveting. Yeah. Um, yep. And but yeah, the the tension gets a little slack in the midsection as the film kind of busies itself with the how and the why of the situation. And while it's refreshing to see one of these films not tumble into unsparing nihilistic dystopia for a change, as most of them <laughs> tend to do, um, I also found it, yeah, it just spun its wheels a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it, but just a little. I think it's perfectly solid and well-performed. And I, I do hate to use this as a pejorative even slightly because I do love what they do and the fact that they are kind of the biggest kind of release platform for films nowadays but it feels very much a netflix movie in the traditional sense in some cases i don't know if you guys felt the same a a casual i always i'm because i'm old i associate it with the video store kind of association where you might get um like five thriller weeklies for five bucks or something straight to video kind of straight to video (laughs) you know you'd have a great time with it in the 90s you'd watch it on a saturday arvo before you go out to the pub in the evening you'd be like oh yeah yeah it was all right you know nothing you know like like I was, the, the like her as a character, I found her excellent. You know, I love anything with an unreliable narrator. That mm. always gets me interested because you you can't trust her because she can't trust herself and because she can't recall things clearly. And I found all of that um, really that drove my interest and kept me there. Um, but you know, serviceable in the middle brings it around. But the first forty minutes. I was I was totally hooked. I, I was probably more convinced than both of you by it, but I, there's always a sense with these sorts of films that there's a bit of a writing exercise. Mm. You know, it's being kept mm. in this confined the scenario. The bottle but, episode. But, yeah, it's a bottle episode, exactly. <laughs> but there's not really a reason why here. You know, a bottle episode is to save budget in the show, yeah. you know, by setting it in one room. But but this, I, I guess it's a budget-saving thing, but, but um, you know, there's a sense that like, oh, no, no, she's in that thing for the entire film. Uh, mm. I'm not quite sure if it serves the plot exactly. It just um, it just is. Um, I, I do have to say I liked not being able to predict the ending. Yeah. Mm. And so, listeners, you, you might think, oh, you know, it's casual. Like, you know, if we're talking um, in the video store context, you've probably worked out the ending of whatever film you watched in like that thriller chunk you might have hired out back then. But I could not – I did not know where this was going. Well, especially for something that sets it up with so few different outlets mm. as to where it could go. Mm. You know, oh, is she going to die or is she going to live? Well, who knows? It's one or the <laughs> other, you know. <laughs> who cares either way? But, but it really builds up and it adds things, you know, um, consistently until mm. the ending, which I'm not going to mm. – <laughs> Divulge here. I, working so hard not to drop key words here, but. <laughs> but yeah, no. Like I think this is definitely worth a look. I, I I think with all of Arj's films, I think you'll have fun. Um, and for those, you know, it's less gnarly than a lot of his previous films. So, um, I like it, the camera work he threw out the film as well. Not to mm. cut you off there. Sorry, sorry. Um, um yeah. It's very slick as well. Like it's very yeah. Like the. The set design's very sleek. The and design with the got- screens, uh, the mm. the projections and things, it all looks great. Mm. Yeah. I, I love the uh, the great syringe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the like another character. Syringe. Yeah, yeah, yes. yes, yeah, like that one that, that had me doing the um, you know, when you curl up a little bit in the seat, and you're like, Ugh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. yeah. So, so I was, I was, I was there. I was hooked. 
you know. I liked the um, the overtones and kind of – because it was a film made during Corona, um, mm. I liked all of the references that were kind of um, – they never said anything directly relating to the – the global panini, but they did make <laughs> offhand sort of references to hospitals and things throughout the film just so that um, the audience was aware that they were aware that th- this was the context in which the film was being made. I thought all of those things were really well done and well structured throughout as well. And this is very similar to my lockdown experience, this film. <laughs> <laughs> well, Siri, Milo. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. Siri. I mean, if there was just several Simpsons DVDs in there with her, yeah, yeah, then the that's syringes pretty much my year. has me yeah. concerned, but we'll we'll carry on. <laughs> yeah, nobody's trying to insistently give you a jab. No, <laughs> not taking it. I'm not taking that jab. I am absent. Sorry. <laughs> it's funny though. Like for a film that was announced back in 2017, like it really did kind of find its moment, didn't it? To to get made. Like this seems like a perfect COVID project. It doesn't, it doesn't, because who wants to watch that right now? (laughs) It's like all those people watching those pandemic movies during lockdown. I was like, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Not watching the news either, so. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing we've decided to devote tonight's special to exactly (laughs) films like this. But we're out of lockdown now, so I watched all of these out of lockdown when I could leave my house, so I had that... um, that sensation of, of freedom, not the not the mouse in the in the cage. So it's like a wistful memory. Mm, there you go. <laughs> so if you want a wistful memory of time in lockdown, um, <laughs> Oxygen is now streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. On Primal Screen on Triple I. You're here with Fee Wright, Will Cox, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Speaking of which, join us again in this room that looks like all the others for our second film of the evening. Holloway, you don't get it. Then help me, please, I need to know. This may be hard for you to understand, but there is no conspiracy. Nobody is in charge. It's, it's a headless blunder operating under the illusion of a master plan. Can you grasp that? Big Brother is not watching you. Hube from 1997 was the debut film from writer-director Vincenzo Natale. Six different people, each from a different, very different walk of life, awakened to find themselves inside a giant cube, a uh, coloured cube, I should say, the colours are very striking, with thousands of possible rooms. Each, has, each of the people has a skill that becomes clear when they must band together to get out. A police officer, a mathematics whiz, a building designer, a doctor, an escape artist, and an intellectually disabled man. But will they be able to survive each other before they can escape? Will, did this have you questioning the, pur- uh, the purpose of pointless objects? Uh, well, I've done a few escape rooms. <laughs> this is... <laughs> You know, so this is this is I I knew this film back to front before I even went in. This is a nihilistic escape room, basically, <laughs> with no real purpose to its existence, much like a normal escape room. But yes. I don't know. It's a, it's a perfect setup for this sort of character um, clash, you know, or that it doesn't really attempt to explain what's going on. It gives you a kind of um, a, a version, or you know, and a. It has a go at an explanation but doesn't really commit to anything, hmm. um, which just leaves it wide open to be a character study, but then it doesn't really try very hard at that either. <laughs> it's nicely designed. 
I'll, I'll give it that. It's got that 90s dystopia feel where everybody's in overalls and everything looks a little bit cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what's that pattern on the walls? Is that, you know, the pattern on the cube walls? It's got this kind of. Oh, with the ladders. The pat- it looks kind yeah, of circuit Yeah, yeah, it's more that it's kind yeah. of chip style, computer chip but, but inside what? motherboard what style. It? It, design. it looks yeah. decorative. Yes. I don't, it's pretty. Look, it's style choice. It's pretty to look at. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> no, I've got other things, but that's the best I can. I don't, I'm not, it's not very good. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> This was uh, I, I, okay. Here you go. I'll offer the uh, the counterpoint oh, to to you, Will. I first saw this movie at a sleepover when I was about fifteen. Perfect, and, perfect time to see it. Uh, and I got to say, maybe I'm viewing it with that um, Halcyon Days kind of kind of lens through it. But I hadn't seen it since, so it's been about twenty years since I'd watched this this movie. And I really enjoyed it for what it was. I feel like it went from. Um, bad and like circled back to good again if you watch it with a bit of a um, tongue-in-cheek along for the ride sort of perspective I feel like they knew what they were doing that it wasn't going to have um, a deep sort of social commentary really but they also were just like oh this will look sick let's uh... (laughs) (laughs) it often looks sick as you say (laughs) like for such a small contained uh, piece, you know. Yeah. And I was trying to work out the the mechanics of the set. It must be two cubes next to each other. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and a ceiling above, above to indicate another one up there. With so the height. Yeah, would yeah. have been extremely cheap and all done with lighting. Very yeah. clever. Very mm-hmm. clever design. And it looks great. And I don't think any of the performances really... I don't know. There's so much room in there for performance and I just don't mm. think anybody really... It was very like a play without the calibre of acting that you might get in a play. What What did you think? I'm sorry, we're just... You're, you're, on, no, you're in the screen, no, you're I'm, in the I'm cube. I'm having fun listening to this. <laughs> I, I love the concept of this film and I thought the production and conceptual design of the trap rooms to be ingenious. Um, and I really liked what the film was going for. And again, this was made for like 350 grand in Canada in the mm. late 90s and became very famous for being kind of a micro-budget hit. Um, and that's all really admirable. But, uh, yeah, i got to echo and i gotta, I got to see and raise some of the stuff <laughs> you were saying. I These are the most insufferable, ham-fistedly <laughs> written characters I've seen in a film that has a reputation of this one in some time. Like, like this film is a pretty good rep. Like, people, like, this is kind of like a bit of a 90s classic. And... It's it's a bit of a – I'm surprised I've never seen it because this is, you know, this is back when I was mm. in my 20s and seeing everything. Mm. Um, but, I yeah, missed this one. The script feels very much like I, – I, I almost push knows what it is and is not trying to be social comment. I think it's trying with all of its heart to be a social commentary. But it doesn't want to commit to anything. It's like I, Breakfast Club in an escape room. Yeah. Oh, that's so right. <laughs> oh, no. It's it but it's it's like Breakfast Club is sort of Lord of the Flies in a in a in a yeah. like in an escape room. It's the script feels very much like a film student's dissertation on free will, conspiracy mm. theories yeah. and social yeah. structures. Yeah, they started dating and a philosophy major and just went hundred percent. Yeah. With a cast who almost entirely overact as if their lives depended on it. Um the there's what the, yeah, oh, which one? The, the doctor. Doc- oh my god, the doctor. The doctor and the cop are mm. just like I can't even. Mm. Um, the, the 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 main of the main actors 
and characters. The only one I could halfway stand was David Hewlett as Worth, who seemed to underplay most of the moments, seemed like a real person and not a tract in human Was he skin. the Gen X slacker guy? Yeah. 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 Literally the only one I had any time for. I like the escape artist as well, but, mm. you know, for – yeah. Um, what did we think of the um, the the guy playing playing autistic using yeah. every using every trope that he could uh, he could muster? Every yeah, that's tick, not great. Everything that I mean, I guess we didn't notice not, this sort of thing twenty five years ago, but yeah. it's really hard not to notice now. Not a, I, you know, I'm I'm not. I, I try not to be a that guy. Like, oh, this is dated and this is this because every yeah, time. Well. But it's one of those things that even for the time, it is not aged well. Um, I also, too, the special skills portion became so patently absurd that I had to restrain myself from smacking my forehead when that particular character's talent was revealed. Mm. Um, but here's the thing. When everyone just shut the hell up and tried to move their way through the cube, I was riveted. Mm. Like when they were just trying to figure it out and get through and, you know, test all the traps. And, and when, yet when nobody spoke, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Like mm. it's like I feel like this whole film should have been silent, but then that wouldn't have gotten to the nub of what the filmmaker was trying to well, get Well, they did to. have that, um, that silent sequence that was very like film student has just watched Rafifi and yes. has just gotten really into it. There's one box where you can't make any noise. Yes. And uh, that was... That was very adjacent to that. So maybe that was the part that you enjoyed the most. Yes. Yeah, I was okay with that. <laughs> you know, on, the, on the puzzle solving or the grand puzzle of the whole thing, mm. it's like watching people play a game but we don't really know what the rules are because mm. a lot of it seems to be sort of this sort of airy-fairy mathematics. I don't know if the mathematics makes any sense. Oh, Does it? I looked it up. Um, they had a maths consultant and right. a door doctor. So, a door doctor. That were, that were in the credits. There was a maths consultant and a door doctor because all of the trap doors must need to be like locked in a special way. I don't. Right. Those were two jobs that were listed in the credits. Maths okay, consultant. so the maths makes sense, does it? Apparently, yeah, I get the maths because it just. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't. I couldn't tell if it did or not. So I was just like, okay, sure. I'm I'll prime just, I was just listening to you. I mean, prime numbers doesn't make much. It. It doesn't make much sense in this. You know, like what is this Why children's television program? Mm. Yeah, is this like. Ghostwriter or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> like you were trying to teach them mathematics. <laughs> Prime numbers with the cast of Cube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why on earth would somebody would somebody build that? No, the just film go does with not it, answer mate. that. Just go with it. Just go with it. You're <laughs> overthinking it. it. Just, I am. just go with it. I'm not overthinking I, it. I'm thinking it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> There's a difference. I, I always love a film where a character, and when I say love, I mean that sarcastically, films where there's a character whose first instinct is just to murder everybody, like, and that character is not like a, you know, a cunning serial killer, where it's just a hothead maniac who just decides they're right and they're going to mess up anyone. That's, punch my like, way out of this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I just have no patience for those characters in films or in life. And I, and again, I'm all for, yes, this is what the film's trying to say about what toxicity does to, does to groups and how humanity can often be its own worst enemy and all that sort of thing. I just wish the guy that he was, that he was written and performed better. And that's kind of my whole thing with this, this whole film. I like, I like some of what this film has to say, even though, as you say, it doesn't really, it's a whole, it's a stream of theories and it's a stream of worldviews and it doesn't really, it's a bit of a grab bag of, mm. of, of philosophical concepts. Uh, it's also very ACAB as well, which some folks mm. may appreciate. Um, but uh, I just wish it did it all more eloquently, believably, or just less badly. Less bad. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you I mean, clearly you needed to watch it at a sleepover yeah, when you were a yeah, teenager with some mums with some underage uh, drinking, which we do not condone. And uh, would yeah. never do it. But no. I remember <laughs> being about fifteen mm. or even younger and seeing this on videotape, I think, or DVD, maybe at a, at a you know a friend's mm. place or a sleepover, and thinking maybe we'll watch that. And mm. then we didn't. Yeah, you got to watch I that in like. I mean, not that I should have, but that if I was going to watch it, then that would be the time. Yeah, yeah. and like Pi, like was it Thirteenth Floor? You know, all of those sort mm, of late even nights. Pie, I was like mm, sci-fi thrillery yeah. vibes. Yeah, kind of alleged mind benders. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. These, mm, mm. it's going to blow your fifteen-year-old mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I watched <laughs> it and then went, I want to go to film school. Yeah, because yes. I could Cube? do. Oh no! Well, I no, I didn't. Pie. But... Pie. No, Pi had a bit oh, of that because yeah. I was like, I want to be, I want to be clever and make movies like this. And then I watched it as an adult and went, ooh. It's a bit like that first Sex Pistol show that everybody uh, was yes. apparently at and wanted yes. to form a band after that. Everyone who saw Pi. Or Meredith with um, the Dirty Three that time when it started raining. Anyway, that's a more Melbourne specific reference. Yeah, it's making a version of a pie or a cube without its head firmly wedged so far up its own. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I just, I, I was a little disappointed and, and I, I went into this really, um, really hopeful that I, um, that I'd be getting something kind of gripping and suspenseful and, and cutting edge. And it was just a bit, yeah, it's, it's, but, but the, but the production, uh, the production actual, the physical production design is, is really great and is the achievement. Um, it's begging for a remake. Yeah, yeah, with an actual script. That'd yeah, be great. yeah, it would kick ass as it's, a remake. It's a great indicator of what you can do with not much money. The main thing I noticed was lighting. The, mm. the way that the lighting mm. and cinematography made it feel like this enormous space. Yes. Mm. Lots of interconnected spaces rather than mm. probably just one being shot at different angles. Mm. You know? And the way they did the outside was quite clever as well. Mm. Mm. Um, the seemingly endless kind of um void uh, it's yeah like i i think you're right i think more remakes i i've got this rule i just like we need more remakes remake great <laughs> films don't remake great films remake films that didn't quite work economically can, that doesn't add up but i'm with you <laughs> look people recognize a cube's one that some people like that movie like you know they might people might buy it but you know hey look i'm just always constantly trying to get my hudson hawk remake idea up so <laughs> Cube is now available to rent or buy via YouTube, Google Play, and iTunes. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You're back with Primal Screen on Triple R. So I am here. I am Paul Anthony Nelson. I'm here with my co-host Will Cox and Fee Wright. None more so than our final film of the evening. Yes, 911. Hello, I'm buried. You have to help me. You have to help me. I can't breathe. Sir? I'm buried in a coffin. Please help. Send someone to find me. Sir, slow down. What is your name? It's Paul, Paul Conroy. Okay, Mr. Conroy, can you tell me your location? I don't know. I'm in a coffin. I don't know where. Please help. I'm scared. You're in a coffin? Yes. I can patch you through to the sheriff's uh, department. You don't understand. I can't Buried from 2010 was the second feature film directed by Rodrigo Cortez. Locked inside a coffin beneath the earth, uh, Paul Conroy, played by Ryan Reynolds, a U.S. civilian truck driver working in Iraq, remembers being knocked unconscious after an attack by a group of insurgents, but has no idea who abducted him or why he's here. As he struggles to hold it together and survive, with only a lighter and a cell phone, he races against time to escape the worst of all claustrophobic death traps. 
Fee, how did you find this calming, pleasant drama? Well, I think everyone heard our review of Cube earlier, and I have to say I was more able to suspend my sense of disbelief with five strangers locked in a mechanical uh, box for no reason than I was seeing Ryan Reynolds in a desert in Iraq. I don't know how others felt, but I had some very strong feelings <laughs> when I was watching this movie, and most of them were, I wish that Ryan Reynolds was back in his pizza place. Pizza place is the – yeah, that was my sole uh, <laughs> point of reference for Ryan Reynolds, I think, when this film came out. I was like, it's the guy from Two Girls, a Guy in a Pizza Place, and he's doing like this action film. I don't know. I, I don't think he was very good in this, though. I don't mm. think that he um, was the right person to be – uh, I don't think he had the range to, to, to carry this whole thing. No, I, yeah. I found him in a way that I didn't find um, – well, I mean, I was frustrated with various characters' behaviour in Cubed, but if we compare back to Oxygen, so if we hold Oxygen and Buried in kind of the same uh, brain space, um, I was so frustrated with um, Ryan Reynolds' behaviour throughout this film and I felt like he was acting in um, – illogical ways that I could not follow the rhyme or reason of. Um, I also had problems with I didn't like really how it was shot either at various points. Um, every time he had an existential crisis, the camera would pan out and zoom out, but it would because he's in a coffin, it would extend the coffin Which up makes it look like he's got more room. room than he actually so, does. Yeah. So makes I, it look like he could sit up quite comfortably. Yeah, and I found that incredibly frustrating. And there's this whole thing with a snake in the second act where I was like, this is this is gone next level. Um, yeah, I don't know. What did you think, Paul? Sorry, I'm just like canning it universally. Yeah, I gotta say, you're crazy. I love this movie. Um, I think this is fantastic. I think it's like, I mean, look, this is virtually my greatest fear. So I'm already in the pocket for <laughs> two minutes in. I'm like, yeah, I don't. Of course, he's acting logically. He's acting. He's, he's locked in a box. I wouldn't be able to. I, I, I kept saying to my partner, I probably would have screamed myself into a brain aneurysm. 10 minutes into this film. <laughs> like there'd be no where's the cell. They'd just be like screaming and screaming and screaming and then something in my brain pops and I'm dead. Um, <laughs> there are it's... some things about the way that he was acting though. I'm not sure why he was still delivering quips. You know, yeah, there are a couple yeah, of times was... when he gives a few Joss Whedon kind of quips. <laughs> yes. I think, why? Why, is why this... would you be doing that? Yeah. Like, why did get your the last oxygen? word in? Yeah. 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 I, that didn't really there... ring true for me. There's a couple of quips, and I, I must admit, the snake moment is a bit ridiculous. Um, I mean, look, they're in the sand and everything, but, yeah, it's like, really? It's kind of a hat on the hat. Um, <laughs> That's such I, a good way to put it, a hat on a fire on a snake on a hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, it's, I think it's very Hitchcockian in its construction and the way. I don't mind the panning out things, but, uh, the pulling out things, because we know he's in the box. This is all existential. Like, this is not actually you know, happening in terms of, you know, he doesn't have that space. It's just kind of a, a a moment of kind of almost like a moment of respite for the viewer in some cases though, like almost an opportunity to kind of take a breath. Mm. Um, I like Ryan Reynolds' performance in this. I've, I kind of, I do often find him distracting in a lot of roles and this is not one of them. I actually, I actually buy him as this kind of, this guy. Um, he's, he's uh, just kind of, just he, yeah, he, he's just kind of I don't want to say working class, but you know, sort of blue collar enough to kind of. Well, he's a truck driver. That's what they're yeah. implying that mm. he's not involved um, 
uh, involved politically so much in the conflict that is occurring in Iraq. But I'd yeah. also that was part of the thing that um, annoyed me a bit about this movie was I felt that it didn't know what it was trying to say or be philosophically or politically because at one point, so he's been abducted by someone an organisation perhaps, and it seems to – I think there was a line at one point um, when Ryan Reynolds was speaking to someone on the phone and is like, well, there's no difference between us and terrorists. And so I feel like it's trying to make a political statement about the US involvement in Iraq, but then it seems to kind of like muddy the waters during that process as well. So it's like if they had a fully committed to America shouldn't be in Iraq, like go to town, like really dig into that, but it just seemed to be like – I don't know, it was like it was was treading treading on boards out over a lake and a bit tentative, you know, it wasn't quite fully in the deep end with that kind of political commentary, which I would have been quite into. And I was like when I first started to sort of discuss that and come up in the film, I was um, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I wasn't expecting this particularly from Ryan Reynolds who's now like such a, a blockbustery kind of dude. Um, but I just felt like it just didn't fully – I just wasn't fully committed to it and – it wasn't fully committed to the politics. I don't know if others. I mean, Paul, you you were you were just too busy like taking a Xanax over there. I think yes. just like <sighs> just like trying to get get through the moment. But what, yeah, what did exactly. you think about just the, trying to handle it? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I oh. I liked what this uh, like you know there, there's little things in here. This has to say about businesses and apparently businesses with interest, U.S. businesses with interest in Iraq and 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 various things and kind of cutting you know. Their 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 duty of care towards their employees, shall we say, mm. um, that that I quite liked. Um, I think it's also an interesting view of collateral damage of warfare. Just you know, you're you know, you can often in a war zone, you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time and end up part of somebody's agenda. Mm. Um, whether that's you know whether you have anything to do with that or not, I agree with Fee that it does it does make sort of overtures towards making a statement like that. Mm. But then the villain is still this. Um, sort of cliched Arabic mm. kidnapper guy mm. who's played by some Spaniard, by the way, by oh. some Spanish guy oh, just well, doing excellent. an accent. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so that hasn't – I look not to be that guy again, but <clears throat> no, no, be the guy. aged well. <laughs> but um, It's a Spanish director, is that – It's a Spanish <laughs> film. He's casting his mm. mates. It's a yeah, Spanish it's film. it's a Spanish film. Yeah, yeah Ryan yeah. Re- it was shot in Barcelona and they just flew Reynolds over yeah. to put him in a – in a coffin. In a box. For, and I think and he, there's, a, there's an American screenwriter and one of the producers is American. But, yeah, it's a, a, it's a uh, Spanish director and a Spanish crew. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting you mentioned Hitchcock because I think there was an episode of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents or mm. one of those similar shows that, mm. that had this premise or a similar premise where somebody was in mm. a coffin for the entire episode, which is, it is quite a Hitchcock kind of conceit. I'd like to see that. I haven't seen that. I mean, it, it just made me want to watch that bit of Kill Bill. Again, with the one-inch punch or whatever it whatever it is. I mean, it was an excellent actor, Zippo. Fantastic. You know, that was... Except for Zippo. Yeah, like well, um, it just really backed up what my dad said about it when he got issued his Zippo in Vietnam. Just was like, yeah, this will go forever. And I was like, well, you know. Well, you said that he was in there with only a, a lighter and a, and a phone, but he also had a flask, a flashlight, a pocket knife, two, glow sticks. Two glow stick cracky things. A pen and a pencil. But the glow you sticks a- was what really... I mean, it's unclear... If if he this was his stuff or the kid, kidnapper left him this MacGyver show bag, mm. I think some of well, it. He, well, was he had his. to. Yeah, well, I was saying I was about to say he got a show bag. No, you were about like, to say you know, MacGyver had to have show some bag. Light in, yes. No, no. I was just about to say show bag. Oh. <laughs> MacGyver was all you, baby. Um, but the uh, the yeah, he had 
the, the, you know, he had to kind of have some way to read the note that he's meant to read out on the phone and all that sort of thing. And he couldn't, you know, the light of the phone's probably not enough because he had to shoot himself on the phone and bloody blah, blah. And did the flask have water in it or did it have... I think it had booze. Right. I think that was his. I had a feeling that was his. Okay. Hmm. Right. And he had pills <laughs> It's just well. working it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you got your anxiety pills? Oh, yeah, I got those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't have the magical piece of paper that he needs for everything, but yeah. The, the say yes, yes, the safety number. Yes. Um, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I got drawn in. I, I, I like the performance. I like the filmmaking. I find his actions and the chain of calls fairly, fairly logical and straightforward. Um, at times, you know, probably a little hot headed and frustrated, but you're going to beat that way in that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, the only things that really strain credulity with a, with a, with the snake and the, 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 um, <laughs> the, the other thing we mentioned earlier. There's a bit two thirds <laughs> of the way through where everything mm-hmm. goes a bit slow-mo and he hears all these voices of everybody he's been speaking to, mm. sort of reverberating around him, reminding me, him of key elements of the plot. Mm. That's a very absolutely lost it for me too. Yeah, that's a bit of years ago, you know? Yeah, there was also a moment where in, it's like in case the audience has forgotten, it. Very, at various points it zooms in on, because he's got a little bit, bit of pencil that he writes on in the wood, if an event happens, the camera will cut to the thing that he has scribbled down on the piece of wood just in case you've forgotten what happened 20 minutes ago in that discussion. Well, the cameraman, yeah, the camera people must have really been looking for something to do. Yeah, maybe that's so. yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing too. There is that need. I mean, you, you've got a guy locked in a coffin. There is a need to try and zhuzh it up visually because mm. otherwise you're just looking at a guy in a... I you guess know, oxygen in, in yeah, had that Oxygen different... gave you all kinds of flashing But oxygen had, had a the, syringe, had it had a it yeah. had Milo, it had a swirling thing, it had a screen and you could look at yeah. stuff from the outside. The robot syringe great. and the snake yeah, there you are go. the same. They <laughs> yeah. perform the same function. It's <laughs> like how can, we, how can we organically get the snake in here? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it had things on the screen and, and memories and totally broke the bottle episode rule, but, hey, you know. That's fine, oxygen. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I I just found this. I'm always up for a Hitchcock homage. I I love films like Panic Room and oh well, yeah, I loved and, Panic Room mm. and, and even Phone you know, Booth. You know, like, fo- yeah, all that See, episode. Phone of, a film I like most of, but mm. but not all of. But that, that episode of Press Gang where Julia <gasps> Sawala got locked in the bank vault. Or, um, <laughs> yes, there's quite a few of those. There's one where a little kid gets locked in a fridge in, like, um, Pippi Longstocking moment. Anyway, that's yeah. Let's just brow. list them all. <laughs> Let's go through the list. All the We're running ones. early, so we probably could. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just – I've Did you care little... about Paul Conroy as a person, Paul? I do. Yeah? Who's Maybe Paul it's Conroy? sharing the that's name. That's Ryan Reynolds. There you go. There you go. I didn't care. Didn't care. <laughs> Don't, yeah, I look, I mean, and to be fair, if if a film only has one actor on screen the whole time, your mileage will vary depending on your tolerance or, mm. you know, acceptance of that actor. Um, and, yeah, and that's the thing. And, and depending on your mileage for Ryan Reynolds, you're either going to be halfway on board with this or just check out immediately. Um, feel like- and that's... 
Was that? Sorry, I just feel like tough action guy, you know, good looking guy, working class in Iraq. God, I just didn't, you know, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. Why is this happening to me? Mm. I just, my, my patience for that, you know, is just pretty low, I think. I mean, this is, this is 10 years ago. I think maybe discussion around the Iraq war and things in America was quite different. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah, I didn't actually care or like him until there was one moment where he kind of calls his mum at one point and I kind of like thawed the ice around mm. my cold dead heart somewhat. But other than that, <laughs> I was just a bit, I was, yeah, I was like you, I was like, oh, oh, did the poor American not know about that Iraq, you know, go to a war zone, boo-hoo. Like that was, which but is the very cynical of so me. So cruel. It is. <laughs> and they also introduced oh, the economic thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's locked in a goddamn coffin. What is wrong with you monsters? Yeah, my partner did say at one point when I was like screaming at the screen going, come on, why doesn't he just, he's like, Fee, you just need to like you need to relax. You know he can't hear you right now. It's not real, Fee. It's not real, Fee. Just, <laughs> were just... you suggest were you suggesting that he do the the one inch punch? Well, look, that did come up multiple <laughs> multiple times throughout my viewing. <laughs> the, Ryan the Reynolds pie may technique. Yeah, the pie may technique. Ryan Reynolds went on to be Green Lantern, uh, Deadpool. Deadpool. You know he's he's fun. Yeah, Don't worry yeah. About him. yeah, he's 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 rallied, <laughs> he's and he's he's also very strong. Like that was part of the thing. He's so, he looks so strong. He can play a superhero. He can, you know, how how hard would it be to punch wood? I, I think know. it might have helped if there was an ordinary looking person in. in mm. I feel, I feel like that about a significant amount of films. Yeah. But if there was someone who didn't look like they could be in a Cartier advertisement, mm. then I might. Frankie Munitz. Would you believe yeah. it if it was Frankie Munitz? Yes. Yeah, see? There you go. No, yeah, I, would, I would love it if it was Frankie <laughs> Munitz. It would be so funny. Oh, it would be so it's funny. Like someone put Timothy Chalamet in a box, you know, and see how he gets out. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, he could that. cut the wood with his with his cheekbones. That would ah, yeah, sharp. Yeah, sort his way through. That's an mm. that's an ingenious ingenious knife trick. <laughs> so, uh, you, if you want to test your mileage for Ryan Reynolds, uh, Buried is now available to stream on Binge or to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with uh, my co-host Fee Wright and Will Cox. Thank you both so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. We checked out Oxygen, now streaming on Netflix, Cube and Buried, both available to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes and Google Play, and Buried is also available to stream via Binge. Next week, I will be taking a much-needed week off as a mystery trio of co-hosts venture back into cinemas to check out three new releases. What will they be? Stay tuned to our social media channels later this week to find out. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast. To Killer Carl Chapman for panelling the show and providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 